worship leaders, worship musicians, and those who love to worship. Last week, we talked about what the purpose of worship really is, according to the Bible. But that brings up a tough question. Can we misuse worship? Can we use worship for something other than its intended purpose? Let's talk about it. Welcome to Blueprint Sounds. My name is Nathan Smith. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to talk about misusing worship. I'm going to share two ways that I see that the Western church has used worship for something other than its original intent. But before we get to that, I want to give you something. If you go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, you can get access to my free PDF download called 25 Chart Topping Arrangement Tricks. If you have a worship song that you're doing with your church that you'd like to make more interesting, Download this chart, and it gives you 25 great ideas for how to make your song more interesting throughout the arrangement. It gives you a couple of sentences about why the trick works, and then it gives you a song from the radio so that you can hear the trick in action. You can also click on the link nearby, blueprintsounds.com forward slash 25 tricks. All right, with that said, let's get to our topic. So if you saw last week's episode, you'll know that the purpose of praise and of worship is to enthrone Jesus. If you didn't watch the video, please go back and watch it. I use a lot of scripture to show how what we do in praise and worship enthrones the Lord. But that also brings up the uncomfortable topic of misusing worship. And there are two ways that I feel that the Western church has misused worship. These are not the only two ways. They're just the two predominant ways that I feel that we've misused worship. And the two camps sometimes get at each other. The first way that I see people misusing worship is to use worship as an amenity. In blogs and articles, I've seen this term crop up more than once, the worship experience. And it's very similar to what a football stadium would include in their game day experience consideration. Say you've just built a fancy new football stadium. Well, you're going to think about parking, and you're going to think about how easy it is to get the spectators into the stands. You're going to think about the quality of the food. You'd think about the jumbotrons and visibility so that everybody has a good seat. You'd think about all of those things, and you'd put it under the heading of the game day experience. You need to have a reason for people to get off the couch and instead of watching the game on TV, come and watch the game in person. That's the game day experience. A hotel would be similar. Right? When you're shopping hotels, you would look at, okay, what's the quality of the restaurant on the ground floor? Do they have modern bathrooms with nice showers? Do they have good beds? Do they have hardwood floors or is it carpet? All of those things add up to the user experience. Well, the same is true in worship. When we talk about the worship experience, some churches put a lot of effort into the lights, the sound the comfortability of the chairs. They would maybe emphasize with their worship team being well-dressed, maybe having choreography and blocking, maybe picking more attractive people to be on their worship team or at least up front in their worship team. All of those things come under the heading of the worship experience. Right? That also includes things like backing tracks and filling out the sound and making sure that we have enough volume to where everybody feels like they're being enveloped in that sound of worship. Here's the problem with worship as an amenity. It falls short 
of the actual point. Worship is not the product. Worship is what gets us to enthroning the Lord with our praise. And if we stop short, if we get caught up on how nice it can be for us, then it is absolutely an inferior thing to be shooting for. And many churches get caught up in the consumer product that is worship because it's attractive. It brings people in, right? So they sit and they tithe, which is what we're looking for. The problem with defining success that way is that it's very easy to justify and tell yourself that you're doing the Lord's work, you're doing what you're supposed to, and completely miss the point. Worship will often make us feel good because that's what we were designed to do, to give praise to the Lord. However, not always. Abraham did not feel good when he was raising the knife above his son Isaac, and yet that was worship, and God accepted that as pleasing worship to him. Of course, he didn't make him go through with it, but he was not comfortable. He did not have a good view. There were all sorts of amenities that Abraham didn't have in that moment, and yet he was worshiping the Lord. So it is not sufficient to just go after comfort or a consumer commodity. There's another subset of church culture that looks down on worship as an amenity. And they think about worship as a teaching tool. There is an attitude in some churches that is more traditional and tends to look backwards and says, what we've lost are the hymns. All of these new modern worship songs are shallow and they don't really have the meat of theology like those hymns used to. So let's write new hymns and let's teach our congregation theology through the music. So you'll see interviews and you'll see blogs and articles about how songwriters also need to be theologians because a lot of people get their theology from songs sometimes above what's being preached. So it's very important that we have meaty, theological, doctrinally sound songs for people to sing so that they can learn theology that way. I absolutely agree that we should have doctrinally sound and deep songs. Absolutely. There are some songs that I won't sing simply because I disagree with the theology. I think they may have drifted into heresy or they're illogical and they're badly written. However, viewing worship as an information transfer device is still an inferior goal for praise and worship. Why? Well, think about that argument of of the hymns. Well, what we've lost is the hymns, because if the people had the hymns, if they had, you know, sound theology, that would bring transformation. The problem is we've had sound theology and we've had doctrinal transfer for a couple hundred years now, probably more, and it hasn't done it. If it was going to do it, it would have done it by now. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have theologically deep songs, and I'm not even saying that you shouldn't try writing a modern-day hymn. Why not? I'm saying that that is not the silver bullet that people think it is, because if it were, it would have done the trick. We might as well just sing out of the hymn and transform everybody's life. And yet, obviously, that's not what's happening, because there are some people that have their doctrine all in a row, and you would not want to be like them. There's another problem with viewing praise and worship as an instructional tool, and that is that you necessarily put a difference between the congregation and the people on stage in much the same way that the amenity crowd does. 
In the amenity crowd, you have the congregation, who are the consumers, and the people on stage are the service providers. One group is providing a service, one person is paying for it with their participation and their tithe. In the more traditional classroom model, you have the clergy and you have the laity. And it's up to the clergy to transfer the information into the laity's brain in hopes that that will do something. That distinction is still there and it still misses the point. The point of praise and worship, as I explained in last week's video, is to enthrone the Lord. It is to invite him to come and sit down and establish his kingdom on the earth. That's why we exist. So doing anything else with our worship is an inferior way of worshiping. So what can you do? Well, as a congregant, you can be intentional. No matter what is happening, whether the music is traditional, whether it's modern, or whether it's non-existent, you can still worship the Lord to enthrone Him in your praise and to invite Him to come and establish His kingdom in you, in your home, in your family, on your street corner, in your city, etc., etc. That is the point of praise. Imagine a church where every member of that church understood what praise and worship was for and leaned into it hard. They viewed their worship and praise as enthroning the Lord. That type of church would be much more dangerous in their praise and in their worship to the enemy. Because where they invite the king to come and he would come, that establishes the kingdom on earth. And that's the point. That's what we were made for. And that's where the deepest fulfillment comes from. It's not worship as an amenity. It's not worship as a classroom. It's worship and praise that invites the king to come and establish his throne on the earth. Hey, I hope that episode helps you, and I hope that you are intentional with your praise and your worship, that it lives up to the high purpose it was meant for. If you need help with your arranging, be sure to click on the link blueprintsounds.com forward slash 25 tricks. And until next week, God bless and goodbye.